So there was real excitement around things that people called heliotherapy or light therapy. There was actually a sunlight league that was started in 1924. Welcome to 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. My name is Rachel Roberts, Collections Registrar at Lancaster City Museums. 2023 marks 100 years of our museums and collections, and we're celebrating by examining 100 intriguing objects that help tell the story of Lancaster, Morecambe and the surrounding area. Today, we're looking at a photograph that epitomises the style and appeal of 1930s Morecambe. It's an image that can tell us not only about the holidays of the 1930s, but also about a vastly different knowledge of, and relationship to, sunlight. Today's object is a photograph known as Morecambe Sun Gods. The copy of this photograph, which is in the collections, is a black and white print a little smaller than an A4 piece of paper. There's a white border around the image, which shows three men posed against a wall. This is not a candid shot, it's highly posed and structured, and the men in it were professional performers. The three men are very much the focus of the image, and take up almost the whole frame. You can't see much of the background, except for the concrete wall that they are leaning on, and the sea and sky behind. If you look closely, you can just pick out the hills on the other side of Morecambe Bay. All the men are in swimming trunks and heavily tanned. The man in the centre is standing on the floor and leaning back against the wall. He's staring directly into the camera lens. On either side of him are two other men in profile, mirroring each other's position. They are both sitting on the wall, with one leg dangling down towards the ground, while the other is up on the wall. They both lean their head on their hand, their elbow resting on their bent knee. One looks left, while the other looks right, forming an almost architectural shape around the man in the centre. The only thing that breaks a symmetry are the swimming towels hanging on the wall by two of the men. We don't know who the photographer who created this image was, but they clearly spent some time considering and arranging their subjects to highlight the physiques of the men and the beauty of the overall image. One thing that is key to this image of ideal male beauty is their tans. Morecambe was a place where thousands of people each year would come to lie in the sunshine, when it was available, to try to get a deep tan. Tanning had become the height of fashion in the 1920s, when designer Coco Chanel had been photographed with a tan after a Mediterranean cruise and by the 1930s, trying to get a tan was a staple part of many holidays. We spoke to Dr Sarah Allinson, a senior lecturer in cancer biology at Lancaster University, to find out more about how our attitudes have changed towards tanning between the 1930s and now. She started by telling us a little bit more about our sun god's photograph. The photo is usually referred to as Morecambe Sun Gods, although it's not clear whether that was ever a title that it was given officially. It's a very stylized picture of three men posing on a wall. The lighting and structure of the images is very much of its time. There was a real shift in photography around that time where people sort of were going for a less naturalistic kind of style. So they were using strong contrast between light and shadow, posing subjects in symmetrical architectural poses and shapes rather than looking for sort of candid shots. We know that the three men picked in the image were part of the Aqualoonies troupe. These were based at the at the Super Swimming Stadium, which was the home of the Aqua Lovelies, which were a group of female synchronised swimmers who put on regular shows. And then the Aqualoonies, which were a group of male divers who would provide displays of high diving and, and comedy diving routines. There are dozens of photographs in the museum collections showing the troupe performing what looked like quite scary group dives, forming shapes and, and even doing comedy routines in midair. 
I believe the public have helped the museum identify two of the men shown in the photograph. So in the middle, got John Douglas Dinsdale, and on the left is Malcolm Martin, who was a medal-winning dive in the 1930s and 40s. It's part of a collection known as the Morecambe Bay Publicity Archive. It's a collection of over 4,000 photographs were donated to museums through Morecambe Town Hall in 1988. Photographs were taken by a range of photographers. They were either working for the publicity department in the town hall or freelance, and they were intended to both record and publicise Morecambe as a tourist destination. And most of the images are from the 1930s and 60s, which is one of the big peaks in Morecambe's tourist history. And outside of the war years, the town had never seen so many visitors, attractions, retailers, events. It was, it was a very busy time. During in that period, the Super Swimming Stadium, the Midland Hotel, uh, Middleton Towers Holiday Camp and, and much more were built and they attracted thousands and thousands of visitors to the town. There was a lot to record, there's a lot of great images. And it was a period when Morecambe was filled with illuminations, beauty pageants, beach performers, multiple theatres, cinemas, dance halls. It was, it was really at its peak as a tourist destination. Sarah explained how the use of sunlight in medical treatments began a shift away from tans being seen in a negative light to them being actively cultivated. Even though many holidaymakers to Morecambe tried their hardest to catch the sun, she also explained how access to stronger sun in other parts of the world led to an increase in rates of skin cancer and new scientific understandings on how the sun affects our bodies. This period really represents a, a big shift in attitude towards the sun. Up until the late 20s, the early 30s, being tanned was seen as a, an indicator of being outside, maybe being a manual labourer. For quite a long time, it was seen as desirable to have very, very pale skin. And people would actually go to quite extreme lengths to have pale skin using sort of skin whitening agents, which were incredibly toxic, things like lead compounds, for example. And then there was a big shift in mood. And, and that sort of started really really with Florence Nightingale with her idea of, of using sunlight as a way of treating conditions sort of sun and air and, and everything. Then it became kind of clear that you could use sunlight to treat certain conditions and, and in particular thinking about rickets. So rickets became a big problem particularly in Victorian slums. It was discovered that people could be treated for rickets using sunlight and people were using also using light to treat other conditions. There was a physician called Niels Finson who won a Nobel Prize pioneering the use of light to treat skin, skin conditions in particular. So there's this sudden idea, a real excitement around things that people called heliotherapy or light therapy. There was actually a sunlight league that was started in 1924. We now know that the portion of sunlight, which actually is responsible for production of vitamin D, is actually very harmful to our DNA. DNA within our skin cells is able to absorb the energy from this part of sunlight, which we call ultraviolet radiation and when it absorbs the energy it becomes damaged. That damage to the genetic material within our cells can lead to genetic changes within those cells that can ultimately lead to cancer and what we have seen in the past four or five decades is uh, in the UK a huge increase in rates of skin cancer. In the early 1970s when this, this rapid increase in incidence of skin cancer began, that's with the advent of cheap flights, cheap package holidays. It kind of coincides with the decline of places like Morecambe. You know, as, as I was saying earlier, you know, Morecambe was a busy, thriving holiday destination and then people started changing where they went on holiday. So they would spend a couple of weeks in the Mediterranean, just exposing their whole body, sunbathing all day. And that's one of the reasons for that increase in skin cancer that we're seeing.
So as the understanding of the dangers associated with too much sunlight increased, what measures were taken to try to change attitudes and help people protect themselves? A lot of that work started really in the in, in the 70s and 80s because people started to see these big increases in skin cancer. And, and I think a lot of the pioneering work in terms of interventions to try to prevent people getting skin cancer, that really started in Australia because they have huge amounts more ultraviolet radiation than, for example, we do here in Lancaster. And so there was a real epidemic of, of skin cancer in Australia. And so they did this public health intervention where they sort of so-called slip slap slop campaign you know slip on a shirt slap on a hat and slop on some sun cream they've seen really 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 great benefits from that you know, they're seeing rates of skin cancer beginning to stabilize or, or indeed fall in some demographics now we're a way a wee bit behind with that really sun protection messages in the uk probably only really started about 20 years ago with the sun smart campaign which cancer research uk ran but already it's just, it's starting to apparently yield some benefits so the bad news, if you like, is that there's been a se- about a sevenfold increase in skin cancer rates in in some populations in the UK since the early 1980s. But we know that in the under 34s, it's actually levelled off. So we're not seeing the same sort of rate of increase. That's it's continuing to increase, particularly in older men, actually, which is really interesting research which came out a couple of years ago. So traditionally, women have seen higher rates of skin cancer than men and this kind of I guess comes back to back to the photo because despite this photo showing a group of men for a long time tanning was an activity that mostly women were engaged in but with changing attitudes actually uh, men have have really caught up in, in terms of rates of skin cancer. Sarah went on to explain that we now understand that there are different types of skin cancer and damage that sunlight can do to our skin. Even short holidays where people are exposed to intensive sun for a limited period, just like those holidaymakers in Morecambe, can significantly increase risk, as well as repeated exposure over a long time. One of the things that we know is that malignant melanoma, which is the most harmful form of skin cancer, so it's less common than other forms of skin cancer, but certainly more harmful, more potential to be fatal, that that can be particularly associated with high intensity intermittent exposure, whereas non-melanoma skin cancers, to, to provide context, there's about 16 or 17,000 cases of malignant melanoma diagnosed every year in the UK. In terms of non-melanoma skin cancer, it's 10 times as much. Less likely to be fatal but can be disfiguring if you if you get treated for it because they often appears on areas that are chronically exposed to the, to the sun like on the face the tips of the ears on the nose for example so non-melanoma skin cancer can be kind of more associated with that kind of chronic exposure which is why we should wear sun protection even if you're in the UK that going on holiday and grilling yourself for a couple of weeks and particularly getting burned are all risk factors for melanoma. Before she left Sarah told us a little bit about the work that is being done on the subject today and how she is hopeful that we are moving towards a future where we have a safer relationship with the sun. So my laboratory, one of the big areas that we're interested in is thinking about how that genetic change occurs when skin cells are exposed to ultraviolet radiation. So we know, for example, like I say, that it can cause this genetic damage. So we're trying to understand the mechanisms. We're trying to understand which bits of the ultraviolet radiation spectrum that perhaps people need the most protection from. And really, there are still things to uncover in terms of understanding that process of what we call UV carcinogenesis. 
we've got a pretty good understanding of the fact that ultraviolet radiation is associated with skin cancer. We know that ultraviolet radiation from the sun causes skin cancer. And I think a lot of the work that needs to be done is in terms of getting that message out there. Now, I'm quite hopeful because actually those statistics that show that in younger people, people who've grown up with that message of sun protection, that rates of, of skin cancer are stabilising. So I, I hope we'll start to see them decline. There are some things that we don't understand. For example, how does ageing affect your susceptibility to the cancer-causing effects of sunlight? And so I think that's where there is some work to be done. For me, it's really about trying to get that message out and get people to protect themselves appropriately. If they want to have a healthy-looking tan, I'm putting healthy-looking in inverted commas here, that they would use spray tan or some kind of more healthy, safe kind of way of uh, tanning behaviour. But perhaps we'll be back to the point where we were over 100 years ago where not being tanned is seen as being more fashionable than being tanned. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. Why not seek out some of our other episodes where we talk about everything from Viking currency to Georgian cutlery?